Hi, everybody, and welcome to All This and the Oscars 2, awardsdaily.com's podcast on the Oscar race. My name is Sasha Stone. I'm the founder and main content provider of awardsdaily.com, and I'm here with two of our editors, Ryan Adams and Clarence Moy. Hi, guys. Hello. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes, yeah, same Happy to you. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank you. Yeah. Same to you. Um, we're going to start off with saying Happy Thanksgiving to all of our listeners, and we appreciate you listening, even though this has been a very few and far between podcast. We're hoping to get it rolling again once the, you know, once we're through the holidays and the Oscar race starts to really rev up. Right now, it's been in sort of a slow period. It's been in a slow period because everything was in sort of a time warp <laughs> until the election was over. It was like time was frozen. There was no, mm. like, we weren't even in on Earth. We were in some portal. We'd slipped into a portal, a surreal portal. <laughs> and I now mean, we've come back. I, I couldn't even really concentrate on anything else, really. I wouldn't have even been able to yeah. really make a, do a coherent podcast because I just couldn't think about anything else. It's sort but of like you've got we this. We all feel better. Somewhat. Yeah, it's like you've got this guest at your house that, like, is driving you nuts. And is like about to go off at any minute and keeps having all these rages and stuff. And, and you're just sort of, you know, you don't know what to do, but you're just waiting for them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that sounds mean. No disrespect to my Trump supporting friends, if you happen to be listening, which I know they won't be because <laughs> listen to the Oscar uh, stuff. But anyway, um, maybe they will with hillbillyology. Maybe. I doubt it, though. I, I would love that. <laughs> Never the twain shall meet, I'm afraid. No. Yeah. The, the, my Trump people that I listen to are so mad about hillbilly elegy right now with the, um, the critics and stuff. Like, it's just yet another war. And I really wish it wasn't, you know, like, I wish it was still the days where we, we were all one kind of community around at least film, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean... It, uh it's not that people just don't, I mean, some people like the movie and some people don't, but the people who don't like it are really coming down so hard on it that it's not, it's really making me uncomfortable. And it's hard right. to make me uncomfortable about things like that because I'm not all that wild about the movie myself, but I don't like to see it treated this way. Yeah, because you know, it's, I mean, uh, yeah. it makes me almost defensive about it because I see other people just um, really beating it up so badly and unfairly for unfair reasons. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's that's, you know, we don't want to get political too much. No. <laughs> but but I mean, in my I'm not saying you, you're fine. Nobody wants to hear what I have to say. But I'm just saying that, like, <laughs> there's a, you know, just, you know, a, an irrational kind of it's not irrational, but it's uncontrollable hatred. I think that that people are, you know, will someday realize that that's what it was, but they can't right now because they're kind of caught up in it. And so what they see is, you know, they see a movie that embodies everything that they hate about Trump um, and Trump supporters, really. But I was listening to J.D. Vance in an interview, um, who's actually kind of a smart and thoughtful guy, um, talking about some of the reviews that were giving him a hard time for not having, you know, representation of people of color, of LGBT community, even of like asexual people in Appalachia as though he was supposed to be making the definitive Appalachia <laughs> movie, but it doesn't really take right. place there. Like they're from no. there, but, but, the, but it takes place in some small town in Ohio. You know, it's not. Sure. I mean, and it's not as if it even 
it deals with anyone except his own immediate family. You don't even right. really see any other townspeople except for just you just don't see anyone except his immediate family. So unless his family includes people like that, includes that diversity, then why would his his memoir or his movie? Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, he touches. I mean, on, we all know, that. we all know that in all parts of the country, there's diversity everywhere. But that's not every movie has to show all everything, right? We've said that so well, many times and, before. And the point he made was how ridiculous it would be if he had tried to insert that into the story. Like it would just look like mm-hmm. the worst kind of pandering. Um, and it, you know, it, it either organ like I thought that um, promising young woman did it really well in terms of showing representation but that's because the culture that the film was depicting is very much a you know an inclusive diverse culture like that's that was the reality mm-hmm. of those characters right but, you know the reality and also of- because it's fiction she's fixed she had she had she she had a, a a clean she could do whatever she wanted in fiction she could create any kind of characters put any kind of characters together she wanted but uh, like we couldn't right. you can't do that with her with a real life family. Right. And so the direction he could have gone in if he wanted to, if he was Oliver Stone, for instance, or somebody like that, mm. it would have been a very overtly political, these people are horrible racists, see how racist they are, and they blame everything on, you know, other other people that they think are taking their jobs. And and while that, that is explored in the book, you know, he Ron Howard doesn't really touch it that much. He sort of hints at it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's it's... I don't think that that's the point of the story. The point of the story is just very focused on this one character and his one family. He's not making, in the movie anyway, they're not making sweeping statements about Appalachia, I don't think. Well, I think it's wrong to to fault the film for not portraying a broader community in the, in, you know, the Appalachian community because... You know, it, it's a choice that Ron Howard makes to focus on this family and to focus on their story. There is a moment where he could have opened it up toward the beginning of the film, which is actually a story I would love to see, where they show different decades of mm-hmm. that one town. You know, the prosperity of the 50s, the yeah. decline of the 70s, and then the meth or, or um, you know, drug addicts of the current day. Um mm-hmm. And, but that's only 10 seconds of the film, something like that. I mean, and I think it's really intriguing. And I think there's a probably a great movie to be made there. But he doesn't want to make that movie. He wants to make this story about this family. And and that is a choice that he made. And whether or not you agree with it is, is yeah. your own personal take. But it's not it, – you can't fault the film for making that choice. Right. And I, I felt like when I first saw the reviews before I really f- figured out what exactly was going on, my, my first thought was, oh, boy, <laughs> they finally get a chance to completely unleash on a movie <laughs> because, you know, there's nobody they have to feel guilty about. Like there's right. no director. There's no female director they have to worry about, you know, getting called out about accusing or criticizing. They have every possible way that they can to just completely launch into a full-blown attack because they've got a white director. They've got a story about, you know, kind of the white working class. It's like it's a perfect opportunity for them to finally put out some really vicious reviews because they can't do it with so many other movies. Even if they think they're bad, they're not going to attack them. They have to be measured and careful about everything they say. But this movie, they don't have to do that with because it's just like, okay, great. This is our chance. And that's what I really felt that they did, that they overindulged in attacking it, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought it just and a, I mean, a weird way. Poor Ron Howard, because he's been a whipping boy like this for really for years. Right. People have always had 
said these sorts of things about his movies, much more so than they do about other, even other white directors. But I am seeing J.D. Vance making the rounds on the right wing um, areas. He's, he's talking to all those people. So, you know, even if this movie didn't just go to Netflix, it would have made money at the box office because I think that there are too few movies that, that do reach out to that audience and that there's probably a lot of money to be made. Um, I, I do yeah. think that that's, that's a possible thing Hollywood should consider. They don't, but they should. One last thing I want to say is I still think if you, if you took this exact same film and took Ron Howard out of it, again, made the exact same way, structured the exact same way, and put Clint Eastwood behind the director's chair, the reviews would have gone <laughs> Probably. up 50%. I mean, or, or Kath, it's just Catherine that it's Ron Bigelow. <laughs> Catherine Bigelow mm. or... Yeah, know, yeah. I mean, if <laughs> any other person, same movie, critics would have appreciated it more than they do. Yeah, probably. And that's just because of Ron Howard. I mean, you know, look at that soul, the, the the Star Wars movie he made. People trash that, and that was totally fine. I mean, it. you know, it's none of them are great, but it, it is what it is. It's just mm. he's a very serviceable director. He is, and he, but the thing he loves to do is he loves these acting showcases, and that's really what this is about. This is about Amy Adams and Glenn Close. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt you. We should carry on. Okay, carry on. Carry <laughs> on my way. On. All right. So we want to talk, we're, 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 you know, trying to do this quickly because we wanted to get a podcast out before Thanksgiving. So you'll have to forgive us for the, um, we didn't mean to just talk about hillbilly elegy. <laughs> Somehow no, we got... I didn't think we were going to talk about it at all. And I didn't think I had anything to say about it. And I really, you really should cut out most of what I said about it. No, because I'm not. I was just repeating myself. No, I because I, I, I'm not the person to talk about it. I'm not, I really, I, it, was okay. it was an all right movie. I'm glad that I saw it. I'm not that, it's certainly not going to be in my top 10 of the year. And I, and, but, but that doesn't matter. So what? <laughs> So Mank is not a film for everybody. It's definitely not. It's a film for a very specific um, mind and a very specific sensibility. And if you don't really know what it's about, you know, the politics of it, the backstory of Citizen Kane and Marion Davies um, and what Fincher was trying to do, I think it's going to be hard for you to, to find, like with Mark Johnson's reaction, he found it stuffy and hard to relate to, which I... I can see his point of view because like he's a, he's a guy who thinks that La La Land is like the best film of the decade. And like, I, I understand that. Like, I don't think it's a bad, I think it's a great movie, but I, I, I can see the two different, like a guy, somebody who thinks like that about La La Land isn't going to, you know, really find Mank to be their favorite movie of the year. Put it that way. Like, I think there are pe- some people that come to movies and they, they like the emotions to be readily available to them that they can feel something every time. And if you don't, you know, you some people don't want to put their brain on, on well, what's the word? Uh, some people don't want to intellectualize a movie. They just want to be able to experience it. And I think it's hard with Mank because it's such a dense script and it's such a dense story. And it takes at least two viewings before you can really fully get the, the, the story. Yeah, I've seen it mm-hmm. three, I've seen it three times now. And I, I've done a lot of, of thinking about this. And I think one of the things that's handicapping it is if you don't watch a lot of films of that period, then your brain isn't ready to process information and dialogue and 
you know, the way that films were made back then. And this film is absolutely 100% purposely made like a film that was made in in the late 30s, early 40s. Right. If you, if you don't watch a lot of those and if you're not ready to process that, you are going to miss so much. You're not going to be able to engage with it at all. And it's it's almost like I had to hit reset and and shut down. Actually, I did a, I did a, a little experiment with my second viewing. I watched it. I had it on, but I was focusing on something else. I was actually working on a puzzle. So when the line, when that line comes about uh, Marion Davies working on a puzzle in the film or Susan Alexander working on the puzzle in the film, I was like, ooh, that's a little meta right now. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, I did a puzzle because I, I was in love with the visuals, but I wanted to hear the words. I wanted to, to, to take in the screenplay. So I, I, I watched some of it, of course. I watched some of my favorite scenes, like the, the funeral toward the end, which is gorgeous cinematography. But... Mm. Um, and it really helped me. Like I felt like I, I had seen a completely different film. And once I was able to process the the dialogue that was written as if it was in the 1940s, then I felt like it fully 100% clicked for me. And then, of course, on the third viewing, you know, it just it was smooth sailing from there on. Mm, yeah, that's so mm -hmm. interesting because, you know, Citizen Kane is a similar kind of experience. I've shown that movie to my daughter and you know other people who've never seen it before and they always say the same thing what's what's the big deal about citizen kane mm -hmm. like i don't get it why is that the greatest movie and it's like okay well you saw it once now you have to see it again now you have to watch it again now you have to listen to it you have to watch this scene watch that scene and that's the thing about one of the reasons why david fincher has fascinated me for as long as he has is that that's the kind of brain i have where i'm i'm you know i, I my favorite kind of movies are like the tight puzzles like a Scorsese movie, a Kubrick movie, or a David Fincher movie, where every time you go back in, you see something different. You see it from a totally different angle, and suddenly a whole different movie reveals itself to you. It's the weirdest thing. But like I've been every time mm -hmm. I watch Zodiac, for instance, <clears throat> Zodiac, I feel like I'm watching a new movie every time I watch it. It's the mm -hmm. it's so strange because I can never fully get that whole movie. There are still parts of it that are, that confound me, and then all of a sudden I'm. I'm back to the to the lot. David Fincher really loves what I call the sort of the the, the Python coil structure, where it moves slowly mm -hmm. and slowly mm -hmm. and slowly, and then at the very end it just tightens around. You know, and that's what Zodiac is. It really does that. Um, but all of his movies are like that because you, it takes you a while to get through the plot of of the story and look at what he's doing visually, what games he's playing with you. You know, um, so and what I. And I mean no, to interrupt. Please go ahead. No, sorry, I didn't. You should. You were on a. You were on a roll. I should. No, have I wasn't. I was rambling. Attention. I was totally rambling. <laughs> <Okay>. Please continue. <laughs> well, I was going to say about Citizen Kane. One, in order to really fully understand Citizen Kane, and what it meant, and what it, how different it was in 1941, you really have to know. You have to, have to under. You have to have seen a lot of movies from 1938 and 39 and 1940. Mm. You have to see movies before Citizen Kane and be familiar with the way movies were before Kane to understand why Kane was so, so groundbreaking. Oh, and sure. the reason it doesn't seem groundbreaking now is because it's been imitated so many times, and all the things that it did, that it, all of the innovations have been used and employed so many times over the years that people don't see them as innovative because they 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 grew up with movies in the 60s and 70s and 80s that are, are using the same techniques that Kane developed and invented. So and another thing about Mank that I love then is because the structure of it is 
is a is a series of of of, of flashbacks that are folded on each other in a way that is similar to Cain, but so different that it took me a second viewing before I really could see the way that it was put together. And I certainly wasn't expecting there to be so much about politics and about Upton Sinclair's uh, um, governor race in 1934. I, I didn't expect that to be in the movie at all. I was I was happy with it. I was I was pleased with it on the first viewing. I was I was absolutely into it. But I didn't realize until the second viewing that not only was that just bonus material. That is the core of the movie. That's mm-hmm. essential yeah. to the movie. Absolutely. That's the entire point of the movie. It's not about the. It's not about writing the script of Mank and how he wrote it. It's about why he wrote yeah, exactly. it and, yes. and how and and why and how he was inspired to write it. Mm-hmm. And so that's not what I was expecting when I think about a movie about Mank. I'm expecting to see a movie about the making of almost like the um, really the making of Citizen Kane or leading up to the making of Citizen Kane. And that's not what this was at all. If and it, if it's okay to go into the movie expecting that, but also be prepared to get so much more than that than you ever thought that you were going to get. In the in the Q and A, the second, the third time I saw it, um, um, I think the moderator said something like, "It's very educational." And Fincher made a face and he kind of recorded and made a joke out of me. He said, "Well, I hope this is not just educational, but it's but it's but it's entertaining, and it certainly is. But it's also." I thought that I knew Kane inside out. I thought I knew everything about Mank and Kane and, and Wells that there was to know, but I had no idea about any of this Upton Sinclair thing and about how that affected William Randolph Hearst and how he thought about Sinclair and about how Mank did and how those things intertwined. And so that was the entire reason why Mank wanted to write the movie in the first place. And any, I don't want to. I mean, it's not spoiling anything to say that. I mean, if you're going to discuss, anyone who sees it for the first time is going to take be taken by surprise and have to grasp it on their own. But just you know, be ready for for it to be so much more than you're expecting. I think that's absolutely true, and I had the exact same experience. I really think you do need to know going into it that this is not going to be some kind of HBO, you know, making of like those old those uh, those Anthony Hopkins Hitchcock movie that that you know whatever. That's that's not what David Fincher's here to do. David Fincher's not going to give you a rote making of Citizen Kane movie. Mm. He's going to give you something that's political. It's going to explore the emotional justification of writing the screenplay, and that's what he's doing here. And I think. It's not a spoiler, but I think it does help viewers with understanding that fact going into it. And hopefully they can appreciate it, you know, as much as we do on that first viewing, knowing that that is what it is going into it. Yeah, right. That's why I'm that's why I feel comfortable. I usually I'm I'm really a spoiler reverse. I don't like to talk too much or prepare anybody for I like for people to go into a movie cold. But I if I had known that it was going to be more about Upton Sinclair before I went into it, I would have. I would have I would have got more out of it on the first viewing. I liked it a lot on the first viewing, but I liked it so much more on the second viewing because I finally understood why all that was in there. So if you if you're a little bit prepared that it's not going to be just about I mean, we already have the movie RKO 281, which was about the making of more about the making of Kane. Right. Yeah. That movie's already been made. And so we that and there no there would have been no reason to do, to redo that. So Fincher's after a different. He went he he and, and his father Jack Fincher were after a different thing, and that's what they did. It's interesting because there there are some movies that this fits into, which is the movie about the the guy with with 
you know, the wasted life who reaches for a moment of, of integrity. And I'm thinking about ver the, the verdict with um, Paul Newman, where he's a he's a washed up alcoholic uh, lawyer. And, you know, in, in its own way, Mank is, is similar to that in that it's kind of that same sort of idea of like they get one chance, you know, one chance to, you know, to, to come from a place of, of integrity and, and, and morals and take a stand on something. You know, and mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a once in a lifetime thing. And so, on the one hand, Mank is about a guy where it's a once in a lifetime masterpiece that he wrote, which is never going to be equaled or topped. You know, and mm -hmm. you know, and then on the other hand, it's it's about the deeper narrative of a of a man who decides in in the midst of of sleaze and corruption to take a stand and to tell the truth about something that everybody already knows, but nobody's talking about you know, about mm -hmm. Hearst and Hearst was so powerful and, you know, he was so upset by Cain, um, even though a lot of it isn't taken from his life, a lot of it's from Orson Welles' life. But that one thing about him is true. He did start out wanting, you know, with, with high ideals, as they say in, in Cain, one of the most beautiful things about Citizen Cain is that, in my opinion, is the statement of principles that he writes, you know, that mm -hmm. he shows his friend Jedediah um, and then Jedediah, after um, poor Susan Alexander bombs so hard as an opera singer, and you know they've gone into complete corruption, which is they're using their newspaper to lie to people about her performance. <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. and then Jedediah sends him back the ripped up statement of principles after he tries to buy him off. Um, that mm -hmm. that whole dynamic is what Mank you know is also is about. It's about that man who who saw himself as a great man um and and who who ended his life in you know controlling other people and lying and making up wars and you know and and, and he pays him back by depicting a hero who who never was happy and never found love you know tried but he he couldn't do it he couldn't figure out the the way to do it he didn't he, he didn't have enough of himself to be able to have like a decent relationship or whatever so I think that Mank is about that. It's about, you know, it's an indictment, really. Mm -hmm. um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just <laughs> talking. Uh, so anyway, it's a good movie. We could do a whole hour on this. Um, oh, we'll talk about it again, I'm sure. And it'll be, it'll be more fun to talk about it after more people have seen it. And the great thing is everyone will be able to see it in just a, um, 10 days or so. Right. Virtually everyone in the world can see it. And so we can talk about it and say anything we want. We don't have to worry about spoilers or anything. Yeah, we can devote an entire episode or even two to it. I'm because it's, it's it's still my favorite movie of the year. And I and, and this is a year that's turned out to be a lot better than I ever thought it would be. A lot of really yeah. high quality movies I really like a lot. And it's going to need but, um, it's going to just remember this, anybody. It's going to need at least two viewings. You have to watch yeah. it twice at least to, together because you're going to see it and it's going to it's just going to go right over your head the first hour. But then go back and watch it again and listen to it carefully and you'll start to pick up on. Of course, it helps to know who all those writers are, you know, at the studio. S.J. Perlman. It's and all fun. That's all fun stuff. And the more you know about the era and the more you know about about the history, the more you'll get out of it. But it's not a, it's not essential that you know all that. Those are just Easter eggs that are didn't tickle a lot of people. And I really I really enjoy the heck out of all those things. But it's not and it's not you don't have to do any homework or be really you don't have to be a cinephile in order to enjoy this movie or to get anything out of it. Yeah. At all. You just um, 
you just enjoy so much more of all the little small details that he puts into it. If you, the more you know, the more you'll love it. Let's do a quick rundown of how we think the Oscar race is shaping up. Do we think Nomadland? Ryan, you just saw Nomadland. I know we only have five more just minutes. An hour here. ago. <laughs> um, what do you guys think? Do you think it's yeah, still the front you know, runner? Um, I do not. <laughs> Clarence. I, yeah, I'm okay. Glad you said. It. Go ahead. Say why not. Um, so it's going to be one of those films where critics are going to not all over it, right? And and they have. Um, but I think it's going to be one of those things that people watch and they can't help come away from it being underwhelmed because it is a very interior film. It is a very quiet film, and it, it you know I. I need to see it again because my, you know, Sasha, you warned me, mm. but there was really no other way for me to see it other than at a drive-in experience. And it is not the kind of movie you should watch at a drive-in. Mm-hmm. Um, it, uh, it wore on my patience and I will fully admit that it is not my kind of movie. It, you know, I, I am not an, an introspect. I'm not that much of an introspective person. So these, you know, these <laughs> sort of quiet sort of, it, it sort of reminded me of my reaction to, um, Oh, what was the film from last year about the about uh, that had Aquafina? Um, the the farewell. Farewell. It sort of reminded me of that, where um, I just felt like this is a meaningful piece of work to a lot of people, and it just completely did not resonate with me. I think it's a better movie than than the farewell, but um, so my opinion on on whether or not it's front runner is tainted by my opinion of the film. I just have a hard time seeing the bulk of the academy going for that. But what would they pick if not Nomadland though? That's where I get uh, that's where I get tripped up. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. But we have another 6 months and who knows? I mean, Mank six being months. on Netflix. What's that? Six months. No. I know it well. Uh, five, maybe five until December, they vote. December, January, February, it, March. Four months. Four months. Okay, so four months. That's still forever. It is forever, and maybe you know, maybe Mank being on Netflix, maybe people will watch it multiple times because they can do so for free. Maybe that helps it. Mm-hmm. I think so. I think. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, if, if, if if I think the three front runners right now. Are, and I think they're like neck and neck and nose to nose. I, I think are probably um, Mank and Nomad Land and um, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Hmm. From yeah. me, I mean that. Uh, um, I I can't think of anything else really that I haven't seen that seen that that I will be seeing that that I expect to match any of those three. I could be surprised. I'm yeah. happy happy to be surprised, but I just can't see anything else coming up and meeting the standards that those three movies have set. So it's going to be one of those, I think. And, but I, I mean, I've long ago given up the idea of, of thinking that a movie like Nomad Land is not an Oscar movie because we have seen that disrupted in, in, in so many ways over the past, even the past five years, movies that we never would have thought would have won best picture have all won best picture in the past five years. Things right. that like Shape of Water and, and, and Parasite. Nobody would ever think that those two movies would That's be picture material, and yet but, they were. The only thing that, uh, but I do still think that Nomadland is so, um, is so raw and it's so documentary like in style 
that it is almost like a micro budget movie and those and I can't even think of any precedent in the history of the Oscars in the 90 years in a movie that has been that seemingly um I don't I want to say I don't want to say basic because that movie has you know bad connotations, but it is very it's a very unadorned movie, right? It's very very simple. It's very clean well, and simple. The the thing that my sticking point with that is that you know the the actors rule. So what movie are the actors mm. going to like? Are they going to like that with all the non actors in it? I'm not sure that they're going to go for that. No. Ma Rainey is definitely more their speed. Well, Nomadland is not going to get nominated at the Screen Actors Guild. Right. So it's going to have that, you know, handicap. I know Shape of Water won without that nomination. But, you know, right, and I totally understand what you're saying, but I feel like the Shape of Water and, and Parasite, those are still, those are unexpected films. Those are not mm-hmm. your norm, but they are still big entertainments. They are. Well, they're big entertainment, and they were and, they were events. They became right. events, right? Yeah, and, and I, yeah, and... The only I think way... the closest thing is probably Moonlight. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, right. That is a good comparison. Mm-hmm. Moonlight. Moonlight. And, so... and, and the same way, in the same way that they're both had, they're, they're visually poetic. You know, the visuals of Moonlight and and Nomadland are both are they're they're just you know very they're both so artful. So that I is think a good that comparison. There's, that's really true, but I but I also think that people are going to get. I mean, we just don't know what the zeitgeist is going to be because now the dynamic in this country has changed a lot. I think if Trump was still in power, Nomadland made a little bit more sense for some reason. Mm. But I think that the Chloe Zhao winning is going to make people like Jamie Lee Curtis really excited. And so I have a feeling that that's what's going to drive it more than anything else. That's what's going to drive the desire to see a woman of color win and and her movie win. It reminds me a little of The Hurt Locker, which is still one of my favorite movies, and I would never criticize it, but it was hardly a crowd pleaser. And it was up against Mm -hmm. Avatar um, and a lot of other movies. And it was, but it was driven, it was, it was propelled not by anything other than the fact that people wanted to see her win because it only made like 15 million at the box office. It did have very strong performances though, very, very strong acting, but it was still not your typical type of movie that would win best picture because it was a downer for one thing. Um, But the fact that the woman directed it, that fueled it all the way through the season. They just, it was just time. And it was helped yeah. by the narrative that people did not want to give it to James Cameron again after Titanic, and they did not want to see him beat his ex-wife. <laughs> That's they right. Wanted, they, they, I mean, that, I think that was as much of a contributing factor as the quality of Hurt Locker, a movie that I love. But I think, you know, had Avatar and James Cameron not been in the picture, I don't know that it would have won. I agree with that. And, and I also uh, think that... Another the, thing about Hurt Locker... Um, it was the end of the Bush era. He had just lost the presidency, and as we were going to be rid of Bush, and Bush is the person who took us in to the debacle of Iraq, and Catherine Bigelow brought us out of it and took us out of and 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 in a way she uh, put the final nail in the coffin in Iraq, and and I think it reminded everyone what a disaster it was and why and what uh, how much it had damaged and traumatized the country and individuals, and it was like oh good way to wrap up that era mm. and the only thing about nomadland if if the if covid hadn't wrecked the economy in the way that it did nomadland might have have had a, a stronger message about the economy right but it's 
it's hard to 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 relate the current situation with the economy with what was the reality of the economy two years ago. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. I just feel like people are going to be so f frustrated this year and they're going to like I was thinking of the dynamic between Chloe Zhao and David Fincher. Imagine Twitter like having that conversation like that that you can just mm -hmm. see how it plays out, right? It's the definitely a David right. and Goliath type situation literally mm -hmm. and they're going to want to well, see her win, right? So mm -hmm. that's going to propel probably the best director race even though no offense to 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 her. I just think it's it's uh it's a crazy no, thing. No, because but, she did an amazing job, incredible job. But I look, mean, you a, know, Alfred Hitchcock, Alfred Hitchcock never won Best Director. Stanley Kubrick never mm -hmm. won Best Director. So, you know, it's it's not like the greatest films and the greatest directors win. They don't. It, it, it's so much more about what feels good right now to people. And I feel that's the only case that I can be I can make for for Nomadland. Mm -hmm. Ma Rainey well, you know, it is, could be. A, could be a split year again too. We've had so many split years in the past five years, so they yeah. could still give her best director and Mank best picture. Yeah, I don't know. Is Mank a best picture? I don't know if I see that that way. I think it is. I mean, for me, it would be. That's that would be would have my vote on the ballot. But I mean, I love Nomadland. There's no doubt about it. And and just to clarify, when Clarence, when you said that it's not going to get a Screen Actors Guild nomination. If, for people who may not be familiar, it's because there's so many non-actors in the movie, yeah. so many people who are not actors, they're not members of the guild, so they can't be nominated and so they can't win. The only two actors, really professional actors in the movie, are, are um, Francis McDormand and, and uh, Stray Thorne, right? Yeah. Can I just yeah. say, do you have to rush off now, Clarence? Should we hang it up? No, you can keep, you can keep going. Should we go 10 more minutes? Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. The thing that bugged me about Nomadland, which I've said before, but only because I've become a YouTuber since COVID started. I never used to watch YouTube. Mm -hmm. Not a YouTuber. I don't mm -hmm. YouTube, but I watch YouTube. Um, the van life is so popular in there. Like it's it's a it's a phenomenon. All these like hipster mm -hmm. pretty girls do their live in their vans and and YouTube and, but the movie doesn't deal with that at all. It's like it exists in a totally separate universe from van life. Um, hashtag mm -hmm. van life. Right. And I think that's a strange thing because we're supposed to buy that this is a these are people who are going from town to town. And I know they exist because I met one on my road trip. I met an actual nomad. He was from Germany and he was working the mm -hmm. breakfast bar at this hotel. He was really nice. Um, but he and his wife live in an RV and they just go from town to town working these odd jobs. So they do exist. But I just thought it was interesting Like she lives in her van and, and I never knew that about hashtag van life until I looked at it but if you go on YouTube and you see it it's like a huge thing it's a very glamorous kind of lifestyle um, which right. is I see I didn't know I didn't know that and I also didn't know hardly anything about the existence about the nomads either so yeah. I'm learning two things today tonight I but, mean I only saw the movie a, an hour ago and I know you mentioned the glamorous van life before I'm just but saying, I didn't if really I was, understand that it was yeah if I were her I would have nodded to it a little bit I would have put one like you know YouTuber flying by in their van or mm. something just because it's well in a, yeah the only the only time that, they, that she approached that is when she saw when she did show a couple of times the uh the recreational vehicles that were driving past on the way to the desert just to have just a party and they would they just she saw them in the distance on the highway a couple of times the off-road vehicles 
but those yeah. weren't vans. They were just people who who were just roaming around in the desert well, to have you, fun. It was totally opposite of with the other people who were living in the desert because that was their only option. Just go on YouTube when we hang up and, and look up van life, and you'll see what I'm talking oh, about. Oh yeah, yeah. I know it's not. I can't. It's not. Can't even compare. I can. I can. I can only imagine because I know, and I. I guess the only other, the only time that they did sort of nod nod about it in the movie in Nomadland was when they went to the car lot to the to the to the mm-hmm. vehicle lot where they were selling the deluxe RVs and they went into one of the really deluxe uh, palaces on wheels and pretended like that they owned it for for thirty right, minutes. Right, but that's the, that, that's again the weird thing is that in the van life phenomenon, it's not fancy rvs it's vans that they convert i've been obsessed with this for months now because i was thinking of doing that actually this movie made me want to do it nomadland made me want (laughs) to do it but i wasn't i was surprised that it was such a huge instagram influencer industry and that's why i'm saying like she could have just put a camera on her van and she could have made money that way you know a lot of people Mm -hmm. do that a lot of old women do it there's like a 70-year-old mm-hmm. lady that does it. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. so anyway, that that's neither here nor there, but it's just one of those things that I thought was odd um, that any young person watching that would think is odd. But um, uh, just just really quickly, though, what do you think of Chicago 7? Do you feel like that's sort of fizzled out? I, I, I still think it's there. Um, I was going to go back and answer your question about whether or not Mank is a Best Picture winner and sort of uh, can talk about Chicago 7 in that. And oh. and it's really up to Netflix, I think, because they're going if they want Mank to win, they're going to have to underscore the political aspects of it. They're going to have to underscore the relevance to the former president or the current administration. Right. Right. The, the fake news stuff. They're going to have to underscore that. They're going to have to bring it out. And they're going to have to show the academy that this is politically relevant to right. today they're right. going to have to figure out what their play is and if it's chicago 7 then they'll push that aspect of it then or they'll push mank i mean it, it's really for netflix to decide how they're going to promote it and you know i historically they haven't been very good at this kind of thing uh, because they're new and they they always have too much content. Um, mm. I, I I think a lot of people love Chicago Seven. I think it it plays, it it's a crowd pleaser. It is probably one of the in the top ten. I would say it's probably the biggest crowd pleaser. Um, just because it's got so many characters that are, you know, you it's got that the Franklin Jello villain that people love to hate. It's it's got you know people that you want to root for. It's got those big swelling sort of moments that that you know engage people and i think it it it's not a perfect movie but it does have that so i would say it's still mm-hmm. in there I, I don't know that it can win but um it's it's in contention yeah i think it's probably a, a safe bet to say it'll be nominated you know i saw it when we all when we all first saw it when it first um screened almost two months ago i hadn't seen hardly anything else at the time and and i was really impressed more impressed than I thought it was going to be. But even then, I think the same night that we all emailed each other and were talking about it, I think I said that I think it's in for screenplay for sure. But the directing didn't didn't didn't. I just found it underwhelming. I didn't. I I'm surprised. I mean, I mean, it's great that he can direct a movie so well, but that's not what he does best. Sorkin is not right. That's anywhere my near uh, anywhere near the same league as director as Chloe Zhao or Venture, nowhere even close. And so or that's going Regina to be a drawback, King. or even Regina King, or even for 
um, the, the, the gentleman who did um, Ma Rainey. I can't think of his name offhand. George C. Wolfe. But, you know, we, we also George have Wolf, three. Yeah. We have three more movies, at least well, four. We have The Prom. We have um, the Universal. <laughs> what's the Tom Hanks News of the World? News of the World. And we have mm -hmm. The United States versus Billie Holiday. Right. Uh, that's moving out, I think. No, oh. no, I'm sorry. That was another thing. That was respect. Never mind. Nope. Yeah. United States versus Billy yeah. Holiday still in there. Coming in February. I mean, it's like it's so it's a world away. Because I'm looking at these mm -hmm. movies and I'm seeing a lot of even I would include Ma Rainey in this. Um, they're they're, uh, you know, in all the years that I've been doing this, the one thing I know about the Oscars is with Parasite is the is the potentially only exception to this rule is that. Um, the, the movies that are kind of hard to understand don't usually win best picture and the movies that are easy to understand tend to win best picture because the actors remember are the largest branch and they like things that are, you know, easy to understand and very, very kind of simple storytelling. That's what, what makes me think nomad land has the edge. Um, because even Ma Rainey's back black bottom is incredibly dense. You know, it's got a lot going yes. on. Uh -huh. Yeah. Um, and it's not, it's not, I mean, um, just by, it's just that people don't ordinarily watch a movie more than once before they fill out their balance. Right, exactly. They're not like us and they don't have the opportunity or the inclination to watch a movie three or four times. And the more you watch some of these great movies, the best movies, the, the more you appreciate them, the more times you see them. But most people don't do that. Most regular audience moviegoers don't do it i mean our readers do i know that our readers and listeners watch movies multiple times but i don't think the average moviegoer does right for movies like this you have to be able to understand the them like even parasite that was like because it was subtitled a lot of people didn't watch it but if you did sit down to watch it and you paid attention to it you could get that movie you know right mm -hmm. away sure. you could get the story yeah. really easily you could almost get it without subtitles just by the visuals yeah absolutely um, uh but, you know, Argo, King's Speech, like these kinds of movies are just very, you know, straightforward narratives. Um, and the only one we have like that right now is is Nomadland, I think. Chicago 7 mm -hmm. is like Mank, is like Ma Rainey. It's, these are very dense stories, you know, with a lot of words. <laughs> I didn't right. find Chicago 7 to, to affect me very much emotionally. Right. I don't, I'm going to really resist anyone who tries to say that Mank is is cold because it's not i think it's i think it's one of the most emotionally and effective movies that fincher has ever done i do too I, um, yeah I, I i really it really got to me in ways i wasn't expecting but talk about emotional and talking about affecting you and hitting and pulling and grabbing your heart nomadland really does that more than any of the yeah. other movies except for maybe ma rainey i would also um, argue or, minari Minari, Minari. Is, a, is a very emotional piece too. That is a really good movie, and maybe we're underestimating that. I think critics are going to have to bring it back. I think it's getting. I, I thought maybe a month ago it was going to be big, but it just seems to be very quiet right now. And maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it, you know, it, it it'll come out big in in, in Q one of next year. But somebody's going to have to come back and talk about it. Somebody's going to have to bring it back into the conversation. Right, right. I mean, what you have to think of, like, what's the thing that's going to unite people behind a vote? Like, Parasite did because, you know, with all those great movies last year, there were so many good ones. It was such a, it was such a strong uh, lineup. Um, people could really get behind the idea of what Parasite was about, and they loved him. They loved Bong Joon-ho because he was everywhere. And so mm -hmm. who's going to be that person? Well, a really good ambassador to that is, is Frances McDormand. She's, you know, incredible. 
But you also could ha see the, the Ma Rainey people coming out, Viola Davis and, and kind of uniting around Chadwick Boseman um, and the whole idea mm -hmm. of that movie. Like you could see, I could see that happening. I love Frances McDormand, of course, naturally I do. We all do. But I mean, I don't really, I don't really have an impression of her as being so much of an Oscar circuit type person that much. I mean, I know she can, I know she's capable of doing that, but often it seems to me like that she is, has, has an attitude that she can take, take it or leave it. Oh, for sure. As far as she awards, does, though, except you know? for she's a producer yeah. on this and it's Fox search. Right. So those two things okay, make right, me think, yeah. you know, but I don't know. I mean, how does COVID gonna impact Oscar campaigning? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, Right. Clarence yeah. sent me a picture of himself at this party. What was the <laughs> with uh, and and I just looked at that and I th I said to him, you know, like when are we ever going to do stuff like this again? You know, and how does that going to impact Oscar voting? It's, it was. I can't believe that was just last January. Still, <laughs> still the same year. It was like it a was, different lifetime. It was with Ryan John Ryan Johnson. Ryan, yeah, Ryan Johnson, and then the other one was with. Um, um, Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi looking very cute in that picture. Um, the Ryan Johnson one was right after he sp <laughs> he spilled a drink on Karina Longworth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a bizarre year! What, what is the coming. biggest? <laughs> what's the right. biggest unknown that we that 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 we may be underestimating probably news of the world right is the most unknown quantity yeah that we have no idea what it's going to be like whether it'll be a total disaster or whether it'll be fantastic uh, yeah i just don't just, feel like the awards community is and i've said this multiple times and i don't know if i'm right but we'll see is is ready to put their their force behind anything that a white man directed i just don't see it happening i would say um judas and the black messiah is something oh, that, right. that trailer yeah. came out last summer and wowed everybody. But I mean, we haven't heard anything about it since then. Right, I've forgotten about that. Oh, people has already seen it. No, no, that, that's that's the thing. It's it's you know you you would think that if it were truly coming out in January or February, it would start. Somebody would start screening it, right? I mean, well, I off the record. That's that's all. That's the point about that is, but it is a thin year. It's a thin year. It's the weirdest year. It's sort of like how the election was. Like we didn't know how that was going to go voting wise, and we don't know how this is going to go in terms of what movie people are going to rally around and what who they're going to feel like giving the prize to this pivotal year. Um, all of my instincts are telling me that Nomadland can't lose. I know it sounds strange, but it just feels that way. It's such a weird year that uh, about a month ago. Um, Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson on their podcast threw a lot of weight behind Soul, which is oh, something right. I, I mean, I love that movie. It's the only other movie in, in 2020 that I've seen more than once. Um, but it's not something I'm willing to to bet on because I just don't see actors going for an animated film. Never. I don't know what they're thinking. What are they smoking, more importantly? <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> uh, I won't say that it won't get a nomination. I mean, I do think, you know, if we had 10 slots, which we'll have next year, it would get in easy. No problem. But now maybe, I mean, the considering what, a th I guess their argument must have been, this is a year is so thin that um, it has a really good chance. It is a very entertaining movie, but these, you know, 65-year-old Oscar voter types, they're not going to put an animated film at their number one. They're just no. not. No. 
I mean, we could just be sleeping on the biggest untold story of the year, which could be the prom. <laughs> could be. <laughs> I just don't, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just can't imagine that it. That it I'll <laughs> tell you what. I'll like. tell you exactly what's going to happen with that movie. Because the funny thing is, is like in the in the sort of the the um, the puritanical um, crowd that sort of demands, you know, purity in films that that really wants it to, you know, to meet these very specific and rigid standards. Um, they're gonna they're gonna tear the. I predict they tear this movie apart, even though even though they're doing everything they can to satisfy that group. But I think that actually works against them. I think if you're if you're actually trying to satisfy them, they're gonna be offended by it somehow. Something mm-hmm. in that movie is gonna end up causing it, you know, because it it's sort of like you're you're in their territory, you're in their wheelhouse, and so if it's not, if it doesn't ring authentic to them. They're going to have a fit. Like, are the actors actually gay who play the two leads, for instance? <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, they're going to be yeah, so mad about is. that. If there's any, oh, one of them is for sure an actual gay? Yes. Okay, yes. well, that's good. That's good. That helps. Hmm. Um, but I'm just saying, like, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, the purity standards are going to, it's going to be held to them because it's trying to satisfy that group. So because of that, they're going to, you know, but maybe they'll 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 do everything exactly right and they'll avoid the the shit storm. Well, it's going to be hard for film Twitter to shit on something starring Nicole Kidman and Meryl Streep. I mean, and Meryl, right. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. So. That's true. So the, the Meryl and, and Kidman armies will be out in force. But I could see a certain type of Twitter person going after the movie for other things, you know why it's offensive it just feels too good to to take a dagger at something like that you know well we all know and i'm not going to say who this is on on air but we all know someone who has seen it and that person has remained uncharacteristically quiet since they have seen it so i hope it's not bad i i really could use a funny good uplifting movie at the moment I think it'll be that. I mean, I, I imagine it'll be lots of fun. I mean, but I, I don't. I think that's going to be the extent of it. I hope so. I mean, I, mean, I, I feel yeah. like it's you know, in terms of my daughter's generation, like that's definitely. I mean, I I think if they were like trans characters, it might be a little more sort of relevant, uh, as opposed to them being just you know two gay kids going to a um, a prom, because it sort of seems like it's so widely accepted now. You know that it wouldn't mm-hmm. be that big of a scandal. Yeah, I, th- what, I feel is like that, is that the hell, is that the thing? Is that the premise? I don't know anything about it. I don't yeah, know anything at all about it. So that's it. That's the. It's a girl who wants to go to the prom with her girlfriend in Indiana, and the parent teachers association votes it down. They won't let her, and so she goes online and she tweets about it, or she does a YouTube video about it, or something. And these washed-up Broadway actors, played by Meryl <laughs> Streep and. Nicole Kidman and James Corman and um, the guy from Girls, whose name is completely escaping me, um, Andrew Rennells, uh decide that they want to go in and make that their cause celeb so that they can get back in the good graces of the world. So they mm. go to this town and they they throw their own prom or something like that. I, I, I that's they I do don't know. they they create the prom, but but I, I just feel like it's um you know it's 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 a pretty pretty i mean i I don't know maybe maybe there still are extremely religious places where they wouldn't allow for girls to go 
mean, I live in California, for goodness sake, so I'm sure it's different in other parts of the country. But I just feel like for the young kid, like the young generation, it might feel a little, a little old, a little passe, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I see this, what you mean. Yeah, if it, were, if it were set in the in the '90s or the '80s, exactly, exactly. But, yeah, but it but it's not, and so yeah. The '90s or the '80s when you couldn't even come out, like that would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been actually yeah. a really good story if they'd done it that way. Yeah, they just only changed the time time frame, the time setting. It would have been better, I think. Yeah, I do too. And it would have been '80s, which would have been so great, you know. Mm. Um, and then that would have been I mean, a good way to tell people that, like in the '80s, when I went to high school, you could not even admit you were gay, even in California. Right. You know. Yeah. Just weird, but. But I feel like that's sort of where the trans community is. Like, they're right on that edge right now. And so, I don't know, mm-hmm. maybe that might be something that they would take a stand against at a prom. Uh, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but, I mean, it's, it seems it's like... It's a mystery. We'll have to wait and see. But, I, yeah. I mean, I just, I think, I, I mean, I expect it to be a lot of fun. And that's all that I really want out of it. I don't really see it being much in the, in the Oscar conversation. So It's actually Except based on a real case from 2010 but it was in uh mississippi not indiana and that's 10 years ago yeah Mm -hmm. yeah i was about to say even 2010 would have been a a lot different yeah Hmm. um maybe it takes place in 2010 could be i was just looking that's why i went to the wikipedia page to see exactly when it took place but they don't they don't they don't set it on the wikipedia page so i don't know we'll see um, all right, so our last section here, because we're all going to hang up now. We're exhausted. We, the royal we. Speaking of the royal we, Clarence, thank you for turning me on to the crown. I've been enjoying that. I told Ryan, you, you. I told you. No, it's so good. It's so juicy and good. Ryan, have you and watched The Crown? I watched so I watched the um, first season and then haven't watched anything since, and I, I'm really looking forward. Should Is it okay to watch season four without skipping two and three, or should I go ahead and just plow through it in chronological oh, no, order? You'll love season two. Okay, all right. Then. Okay, I'm, I'm really, I've just heard so many great things about season four. I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get to it, but I can, <sighs> I can so good. delay the gratification. I, I'm on I season to... two right now, but yeah, I can't wait to get to four too. I have to tell you, Sasha, the uh, actress who plays Camilla Parker Bowles is the uh, director of Promising Young Woman. Oh, my God. All and right, the, yeah. the one who mm-hmm. plays Princess yeah. Margaret is stars in Pieces of Woman. Yep. <laughs> so, it's woman all over the place. <laughs> um, all right, you guys, let's just uh, – I wanted to tell you that this podcast gets more traffic than any of our other ones. Um, it, it's very – I mean, of the ones that I track, it's highly listened to. So – Thank you, readers, or I mean listeners, for, for listening to our podcast. We're, we're shocked and amazed that you do, <laughs> but it's nice that you do. Right, and we'll do better. We're going to do better. I mean, I really do enjoy it. We all we just all had so much going on offline, just trying to survive and trying to, like, stay, you know, in an upbeat mood that I don't think anyone has, has been in, in, in the state of mind to do it until now, but now we are, and oh. I, we'll, do, we'll promise to do better and, and stay on schedule. And do you guys want to say really quickly what you're grateful for? Or should we just hang up? <laughs> no, no, I can't think of anything on the spot. Aww, <laughs> Great. Right. I'm just grateful that Biden won. Okay, that's a good one. I am also grateful that Biden won. I am grateful that uh, I'm grateful that we're healthy and we're, um, yeah. you know, been able to, uh, to 
not catch COVID-19 and that we have a vaccine on the on the way and we can see the, the light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel. God, it's so it's weird when you, when you say that. I just feel like the bottom drops out. Like I feel anytime anybody mentions COVID to me and the vaccine, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm in an airplane and I'm about to skydive out. Like it feels so scary to me because we're just so oh, no. precarious. You know, we're, we're, our hopes are pinned on this thing to save us yeah. and, and bring our country back, you know. Um, Breath held. <laughs> breath held I, I mean it's it's really crazy that's one of the reasons why i've been doing more podcasting and and youtubing and stuff is because i just feel like we're going to be here for a while so we better start making the best of it um, yes actually i i i should say in some weird alternate universe i am grateful for the opportunities that have come because of covid19 because i don't think i would have seen as many films and has gotten as many experiences as i have because they are not doing the in-person stuff in LA. Like right. they've, they, this is this year. I don't think I'll ever get this experience again because I don't think they'll ever do that many virtual screenings ever again. Probably never again. But it's so nice, isn't it? But now we know that they can it do it. Is yeah, it is. I know, right? So nice to just be able to get that email with a link and it's click click, and you're watching the movie. So oh. it's even really better than the physical screeners coming to the door. I know, and yep. and that this this of all things should should really get rid of screeners completely. You know, yeah. we should just have this. People shouldn't even bother sending them out. It's so much faster to do a link. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but um, and I would think more secure too, because you know you never know what's going to happen with the with the DVD. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll we'll try to do another one of these as you know sooner rather than later, and. Um, and thanks for listening, guys. And I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday. And I feel like our brighter days are ahead. I hope. That's right. Here, here. Here, here. All right. Absolutely. Okie doke. Good night, you guys. Bye. Thank you. Good night. Thank you.